0: well how's it going church all right good deal hey before we get uh into exodus today wanted to remind you that uh there we go all right uh to uh remind you and invite you to the ladies visionary um you'll find that in your bulletin there uh, down on the bottom and um they the, the ladies visionary they um they, they are a, a, a group of ladies that they, they do a lot. Uh, they do quite a lot, and you probably have heard of very little of it because they do it just quietly, and they go to work, and they do it together, and, it, and it's just uh, they find ways to be an encouragement and, and the light of Christ in our community. And I uh, just want to encourage you to join with them uh, in the information there. It's Thursday, but the information is there for you. There you go, the bonus, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So um, we're going to open up to Exodus chapter 20 today. Yeah, isn't it? Look at the ninth command. And um, before we actually read the command that we're on here in verse 16, we're actually going to back up and read the first two verses of Exodus chapter 20. Uh, and I guess before we do that, we're going we're gonna to just take a moment just to ask the Lord to direct our steps and lead us into truth. Father, as we gather around your word, Lord, our desire, our heart is to know you more deeply to uh, trust You more fully, Lord, to have those ways in us which um, which still hold on to uh, some of the evil desires and patterns of thinking and that we uh, had before we came to know You. Lord, we ask that You would help uh, by Your Word and by Your Spirit to purify us from those, to teach us a new way. Um, Lord, to teach us how to see the world with your eyes and to think thoughts that are in line with yours. So as we go to your word today, Lord, just lead us into all truth as you promised to do, that you, Holy Spirit, would be our interpreter for us and that we might have your wisdom and understanding. And we pray this to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So this, this precedes the, the Ten Commandments. So it is based built upon the reminder of what God has done for His people that He then gives them the Ten Commandments. Uh, it is very similar to, uh, um, it, well, it's, it, it's, it's as if God is saying, uh, I'm giving you these commandments, but in light of what I've done for you, this is, this is more than reasonable. Right? The, the, this is a logical obedience for God's people to walk in His ways based on what God has done for them. That He's rescued them out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And so then we, we, we see the Ten Commandments then, uh, as I've been reminding you, as sort of the, the runway markers to God's blessing. But there's also another component to that that we're going to talk about today, and that is that for uh, God's, people to, God's people are to represent Him faithfully in a world without Him. Right? So, so God's people become the face and the voice in a lot of ways of, of the one who saved them and the one who is seeking to save those who are yet lost. So it is necessary then for them to walk in a way that reflects Him accurately, that honors Him, that, that, that gives glory to Him and builds a respect uh, in this world for him. And so, on the one hand, we have the Ten Commandments sort of framing in the path of God's blessing, but it is also marking out for God's people this is the path to honor the God who saved you. This is the path to honor his name, to give him a good reputation that is accurately reflecting of who he is. Uh, John mentioned the Good Shepherd uh, this morning. And, we, and God's people are to live in a way that reflects the goodness of their shepherd, to, that reflects his justice, his mercy, his love, his compassion, uh, that accurately reflect him. And so the Ten Commandments then help God's people um, carry his good name throughout the earth. Uh, this is something that actually we've, um, from time to time, have conversations with our, our kids about. And I know I've given great thought just on my own th- Uh, for my own part, to this. And that is, your name ought to mean something. And so for our family, the last name Moore means something. It means something to us. It carries weight for us. It represents who we are. Those things that we want to have reflected on our name in the world. And So things like integrity, and doing right by people, and honoring God, they matter to us. And that is what we want our name to represent. And so we, we, we uh, often have conversations with our children about that. And how, how the baton sort of gets handed off to them, not just to represent themselves, but now to represent also the family as they carry our name with them. Well, we carry the name of God as His people. Just as we might carry a family name with us, even more so we carry the name of God with us. And we represent Him in this world. And that name matters. And what we do matters, not just for ourselves, though we are to be held personally responsible, we don't just represent ourselves. Um, As believers, yes, you do represent yourself, but you know what? You also represent this whole body of Christ. In our community, whatever you do, whatever you speak, um, whatever, however you conduct your business reflects not just on you, but reflects on the people of which you are a part of. And then even beyond that, reflects on the name of Christ. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 says this about a name. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Better than great riches is a good name. Now this is not a, a sort of false building up of a reputation. This is one who has a purely good name. one that is A good name that has been earned, that has been shown to be uh, good, that has been time-tested and proved out to be good. A good name. The name of Christ of which we bear, those of us who are followers of His, we bear the name of Christ in this world. There is no better name. And so as we get to our command about bearing false witness, false witness, bearing false witness, then it is it is a means of harming the name of another, harming the reputation and even the life and the relationships of another person. But most of all, it is a first of all, it... it when, um, when one's reputation is, is... When false accusations are brought against someone in the community of, of believers, not only is it, does it, can it bring harm to them, but it can bring harm to the body of Christ and as well do injustice to our Savior. Now, we'll get more into that because God does have the final word on that. But what what I want us to understand is the Ten Commandments were not written to the body of unbelievers as if they're to walk in it, but to the body of believers. Those people who are in the covenant community of God. So when God says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor, He's speaking to the covenant community of God. His people. Let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, and we'll break it down a little bit and then we'll uh, look more at what, what that means and uh, how we can avoid it, um, stepping into this. Exodus 20.16 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So we're just going to kind of do, uh, we're going to kind of look at some words here so that we can kind of expand our understanding of what this means. All right, so the word bear here, and I'm, I'm teaching from the English Standard Version this morning. So yours might actually have a translate a little bit differently, but the the, root, the the words that are being translated are the same. So the meaning remains. And so here the word bear is uh, an answer, a response, um, a testimony, and and it's framed here in a in a legal uh, sense. So for us, we would understand this as sort of like. Courtroom testimony um, that so what is being said here is is specifically targeting uh, one one of the, the members of, of god 's people falsely accusing in a in a legal way to bring harm uh, to another, whether it be accusing one of stealing or accusing them of murder or whatever it would be that when a false accusation is brought with this kind of legal force behind it, uh, where there is a false representation that comes against another. So bearing is to, to give an answer, a response, to, to testify. And the word false here, I mean, it's what you think it would mean. It's to lie, um, to deceive, to be fraudulent, to betray, really. Witness here is uh, to give, bring testimony or evidence. So we're, we're looking at what we're talking about here is, is bearing false witness is to give an answer, a response, or some kind of a, uh, a testimony that is bent on deceiving for the purposes, purpose of bringing harm against another. Now, sometimes this is by way of, of presenting evidence and some, sometimes by way of withholding evidence and sometimes by way of twisting evidence. And so we're going we're gonna to actually take a look at that. But who the, the age-old question here that Jesus gets presented to him is, who is my neighbor? What is neighbor here in Exodus twenty sixteen? Well, neighbor means, remember, this, God is speaking to His people, the covenant community of God. Um, so we're speaking in a realm of people who at least profess That they trust in Yahweh. So neighbor here most most uh, specifically means the others who are within their community of faith, other followers of Yahweh. Now this is this is a, a a principle that holds true all through Scripture. Do not misunderstand this though. Exodus 20.16 is not, is not suggesting that somehow if, if a person is outside of the family of God, then it's okay to take advantage of them. It's okay to bear false witness against them. That is not what it's saying. But rather, there's a principle in Scripture that is something like this. Um, do good to all, but especially to those who are in the family of God. Right? It, we live this out, actually. Hopefully. We actually live this out in a, a very earthly way, right? Our idea should be, let's do good to all people, but we take care of our family, right? My wife, my kids, they are forefront in my priority of, of doing good to the people in this world, the people in my community. This, this is the same thing, being born out with our spiritual family, the family of God, that we do good to all, but we, we especially make sure that we're doing right and doing good to those who are within our family of God. And so neighbor here is specifically speaking to those who are in the same covenant community as you. Don't bring a false witness against them, a false testimony against them to bring them harm, whatever the reason might be. In fact, this would even apply to your enemy. Now, sometimes we, we, we think somehow that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament and that the voice of the Old Testament is different than the voice of the New Testament, that the principles in the Old Testament are different than the principles of the New. But the whole Scripture speak with one voice, in a consistent voice. The voice of God throughout the Old Testament and the New all All together. Let's look at that. Exodus chapter 23, verse 1. Flip over a couple pages there. Exodus 23 expounds um, or expands the breadth of the understanding of this ninth commandment. Exodus 23, verse 1 You shall not spread a false report, you shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you, In other words, there should be no partiality in this. The truth, the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth, whether others are on your side or not, whether, whether the bulk of public opinion and movement is in the direction of truth or not, you stand on the truth, the truth, the truth. And it doesn't, and it shouldn't matter whether we're talking about rich, poor, um, whether we're talking about someone with lots of power or someone with none at all. That the same truth, the same truthful witness would apply to everyone, that everyone would have that benefit. It is a principle... Um, that uh, whether or not it is attained, well, we know it's not attained perfectly, but it is a principle that is at the heart of our own justice system. Um, and obviously, we, cannot, we can point out some of the flaws along the way here, but this is a principle at the heart of that, and that is the sense of justice applies to all people equally, regardless of where you come from, what you look like, uh, or what your standing is socially. This thought originated with God Himself. For all men are created in His image. Verse 4, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. See that? Um, The person that has done wrong to you And you see, uh, I mean, you can use use other examples here that maybe are more modern or maybe this one works for you. The guy who keeps doing wrong by you and you see his animals out, you bring them back to him. There's no partiality. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving Him with it. You shall rescue it with him. So this even takes it, I think, even a step further. You you see the guy who you might say is your enemy, and he's in a tough bind. You you go to work with him to help him get out of his bind. What does that sound like? Man, it sounds a whole like like something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, doesn't it? Love your enemies. So it's not just back here as as the, the religious people got wrong, which is what Jesus was addressing. They're thinking, hey, love your neighbor. I can do that. The guy I get along with and agree with, the guy that scratches my back and brings me a loaf of bread once in a while, I can love him. Jesus says, love your enemy. This goes all the way back to Exodus. This is nothing new. You shall not pervert... The justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. So on the first part of this passage, we have don't favor the poor. And here we have, you know, don't unduly keep justice from the poor. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous. For I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So God, uh, here in Exodus 23, expands the breadth of the understanding of bearing false witness to sort of just bring in various forms of injustice towards others, and, and ways of uh, bringing false accusation or harm to others through deceit. There are four ways, I think, that um, we are likely to break this command, to violate this command. And I want to look at those because um, some of them we might actually find are somewhat socially acceptable. And, and actually um, can even take root within the body of Christ. But we want to make sure that we call all of them what they are. First way that we bear false witness is by just outright lying. Right? You turned right, but you just say, I turned left. It's just an out, outright lie. I think we can all agree on that one, Right? We can agree that if you say something that is just absolutely contrary to what is, you're lying. But there are other ways that we do this where, eh, at least from our perspective, maybe there's some acceptableness in, in, in the equation. And the second one is this. Misrepresenting the truth. Now, I put that in quotations just so we're clear. This is still lying, right? This is still lying. This is still bearing false witness but I put misrepresenting because we can state technically the truth but present it in a way that is intended to misguide the hearer to a wrong conclusion. You know what I'm talking about, right? Turn on your TV. It is there all the day long. Technically, it's true, but it's presented with the intent of guiding you, the hearer, towards a misunderstanding of what is true. That is that 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 if I if I, I might share something with you about someone else, and while my words may be true, my intent is to guide you towards an understanding of that person that brings them harm, uh, harm to their reputation, uh, or in some other capacity. Another way that we can break this command, violate this command, is giving an ear to false witness. We can give false witness with our mouth. We can also give false witness with our ears. When we entertain or give an ear to those who we know or suspect are are falsely accusing others, especially within the body of Christ, but always, uh, to all people, but especially in the body of Christ, we need to make sure that we stand on the side of truth. There, There are multiple passages in scripture that guard us against coming alongside those who are working in the direction of evil and this is one of those bearing false witness slandering gossiping within the body of christ is just an outright evil and we'll get to it in just in in just a little bit but just as a precursor this kind of stuff comes from the father of lies this is satanic stuff Okay? This isn't just oof, white lie. This, this comes straight from hell. This, this is absolutely, completely against our holy God and all that He calls us to and all that He saved us out of. So when we give an ear to that voice that is speaking uh, those slanderous accusations against someone else, we need to make sure that we put the kibosh on that we have an obligation especially to the body of Christ to put the kibosh on it and just say, look, I can't go there with you. We're in the wrong here if this is what you're wanting to do. The fourth thing is this, suppressing truthful witness. Whether it be suppressing others' truthful testimony or withholding our own. When you hear false accusation being brought against someone and you know what is true and contrary to that and yet you withhold it, you have just become complicit in bearing false witness. Or when you have the ability to, if let's say, uh, if you were an attorney in a courtroom and you have a testimony, eyewitness testimony that, that would actually be harmful to your own case and yet you withhold it, for the sake of making your case look better, uh, th- this would be completely against what the command is telling us. This would be bearing false witness when we withhold or suppress the truth from being revealed. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, um, I think we have it up here for you. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Um, this, is, this is generally a good guidance for us in evaluating whether or not we ought to be involved in something or whether we ought to speak something. When you, when you know the right thing to do or you have a sense of the right thing to do and you don't do it, whether, whether it's because you do the contrary or because you, uh, what we call by omission, you just kind of step back and just let things happen and you don't do the very thing you know you should. Um, you, you have just sinned against God. But in the sense here that we're talking about bearing false witness, you've also sinned against your community of believers. And you've brought harm not only to, to them, but also to God's name. Leviticus chapter 19, uh, it's, it's kind of fun here, because as we're working our way through the Ten Commandments, we keep crisscrossing through Leviticus chapter 19. There's like a crossroad, there's an intersection there in Leviticus 19 that it's just, it's like it's unavoidable uh, for us to cross through here as we're working our way through the Ten Commandments. And you will recognize this passage because at the end of, uh, we're going to look at chapter 19 uh, verses 11 through 18, and this will be recognizable to you because the very last verse that we're going to look at is, love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11. <clears throat> I suppose I should be in the right spot here. All right. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear, the, fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor, I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The absolute uh, contrast to bearing false witness is loving your neighbor. Rather than to bring harm against Others, especially those within the body of Christ, we are to seek their welfare and to extend to them the love of Christ that has been given to us. Love your neighbor. We're not to betray them or use them for some personal gain, to satisfy some wrong thing in us, or to obtain some kind of vengeance. Love your neighbor. Deuteronomy chapter 19 speaks into this as well. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. I I hope that one of the things you're really getting out of this is how much God hates, hates every falsehood and hates when justice is, is compromised. He hates it. God judges with a a perfect scale. Which is why uh, Romans says, because God judges with a perfect scale, uh, it is why Romans says that we all stand guilty before God. God's judgment is perfect. There's no falsehood in God's judgment. Which makes the sacrifice of Christ even more beautiful. Beautiful. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Sounds a lot like stuff Jesus said, doesn't it? If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, pay pay real close attention to this. So this is a... um, this is the uh, implementation of the Ten Commandments kind of working itself out in, in the, um, the, the social um, laws that the people were to abide by. So here's what it says about, "...if a malicious witness appears to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord." before the priests and the judges who are in the office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. You know the whole eye eye, eye for an eye bit? Here you go. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. This is speaking directly about those who would bring a false witness to bring harm against another. And God lays out what what the legal process is supposed to be for dealing with that. And He says, whatever harm they intended to be brought against the one of whom they accused will be brought against them as their punishment. God is serious about this. Punishment for false witness here in, in Deuteronomy with God's people was severe. We're to take care of each other, not to bring harm to one another. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What's interesting is when you look through the Scriptures and you see these commands about how we're to treat one another, most of them actually are speaking to the way those within the family of God treat one another. They're speaking directly to that relationship. Now, they get applied beyond that relationship to those who are outside um, God's family, but they are very directed towards how we operate as God's family. We are to do good to all, but especially those who share the last name that we do, that we belong to God, that we are bearers of the name of Christ. You know, God, um, God has a way of demonstrating to us what this looks like so that we have a better understanding. Consider God's people whom He has a covenant relationship with. He, he exhibited this principle for us, what this looks like. You know, John chapter 1, verse 11. Who does it say Jesus came first to? His own. But His own did not receive Him. In other words, what God did was when God brought Messiah to the world, because John 3.16 says it's for the whole world that Christ died, but He came first to those who should belong to Him. So, bringing a Savior for all, but especially for those whom God had established a covenant with generations prior. And it says they did not receive Him. God demonstrates this very principle of bringing salvation first to those who would be called His people. In fact, it gets worse than that. It wasn't just that God's people did not receive Him. Well, I say God's people. I mean, what I mean by that is those who would claim at this moment in time to be God's people, not those who are operating as God's people. Look at what they did to the Savior, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, verse 57. They didn't just not receive Him, they actively sought to destroy Him. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance. So far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. See that? They were seeking false testimony. They were knowingly seeking false witness against Jesus to kill him. Of course, they found none, and yet um, they, they grasped for anything at this point. Finally, they found a couple of witnesses that they thought maybe we can use their testimony and brought it against Jesus in order to kill him and destroy his reputation. They themselves, those who would be the religious leaders, those who should be leading people to God, became the very ones who perverted justice and brought false accusation, not just against anyone, but against the very Savior of God. Now this is, Jesus said, um, if this is the way they treat him, that his followers should expect the same kind of treatment. In fact, when you continue on, Acts chapter 6 through 8 details the account of Stephen, a man who was godly, a man full of grace and full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the religious people brought false accusations against him, and he becomes our first martyr, the first one that we see who dies for the name of Christ, who is executed because he brings the true testimony of Christ. And presiding over that execution is a man named Saul, whom we know as the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of what we call the New Testament. But here's here's what we need to really understand. When accusations, false accusations, and persecution are brought against believers, followers of Christ, it is primarily a direct assault on Christ Himself. Look at Acts chapter 9, you'll see what I mean. So remember, the Apostle Paul, although he wasn't the Apostle Paul at that time, was the one giving direction to the execution of Stephen, a godly man who bore witness to the truth of Christ. Now look at what happens in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. When false accusations are brought against believers, when persecution arises against believers, when, when injustice is done towards God's people because of Christ, Christ takes this as a direct assault on him. This is like This is like uh, someone coming at your kid and you taking it quite personally, right? It's not an assault on your kid. It's an assault on you, right? You just crossed a major line there. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 through 12 there, here's what Jesus says. We can expect this kind of treatment because of him. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you're going to follow Christ, you will in some way, shape, or form encounter false accusation because of your commitment to Christ and because of your association to Christ. But here's the deal. Ephesians reminds us, this is not a battle against flesh and blood. This isn't us versus them. This isn't left versus right. This isn't Christians versus non-Christians. This is a battle not of flesh and blood, but of spiritual forces. And there is one who we would call the great false witness. There is one who is a liar of all liars, the father of lies, the deceiver of deceivers. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. We meet him immediately. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Look at this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Um, Remember, one of the ways I said we could bear false witness was. uh, by perhaps technically speaking the truth and yet presenting it in a way that is intended to misguide the hearer, man, this is the master of that right here. Satan presents himself right here as the false witness against Yahweh, against Christ. Look at John chapter 8.44. You are the father of the devil. This is Jesus um, You are of your father the devil. This is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders who would bring false accusations against him. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It is who he is. Just as God's essence is love and holiness and truth, Satan's is lies. Okay? He speaks just out of who he is. He's is a liar and a deceiver. So believers cannot walk in falsehood because when we begin to walk in falsehood, we reflect not God who saved us, but we reflect satan himself we are carrying out his will in revelation chapter 1 21 verse verse 5 through 8 pronounces some pretty severe judgment for those who would walk in falsehood and lies the severe judgment is you don't belong to him and you know, have no place in the book of life you have no place in the kingdom of heaven so I would caution you if you are one who professes the name of Christ and yet you continue to walk in a way that deceives others or, or has become a part of your habit to, to bring some slanderous words towards others or gossip about others or mislead people intentionally for whatever purpose it might be, you, you better take some real stock on whether or not you even belong to Him because that does not reflect Him. It reflects... What is perhaps the, your father, the devil? Revelation chapter 12, verses seven through 12 tells us what's going to happen there, though. Here's what Satan does. He is the, the great accuser. He is the one who brings false witness. He is the OG when it comes to this. Revelation chapter 12. Verse 7, now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. This is what Satan does. He brings accusation against you. Whether you call yourself a believer or not, and especially if you call yourself a follower of Christ, he brings accusation against you. But look at this. And they, verse 11, and they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Those who would be the ones whom he would bring false accusation against are conquerors. They might, it even says here, like Stephen, we might even be put to death for it, but we are conquerors over him because of the blood of Christ. None of those accusations are going to stick because they've been taken care of at the cross. I want to leave you with three, three thoughts here by way of, of considering how to... Um, How to interact with, with the ninth command here in your life. One is this ask the Lord to reveal any falsehood in you. I'm, I mean, most of us have it somewhere in us. We have something that we want to, uh, we want to protect, and, and we're willing to kind of smoke screen and misrepresent. And sometimes we try to do this to God. So ask the Lord to reveal any falsehood in yourself. Secondly, dedicate your thoughts and your speech to truth. My words, my thoughts, I am going to point like a laser on the truth and I'm going to deny falsehood. I'm going to run from it. Even if it costs me in great measure, I am going to resist going in that direction. I'm committed to the truth. And the third thing is this, persevere when you're falsely accused for Christ's sake. It will happen. It will happen. I will just tell you that if you are going to follow Christ and do good on His behalf, you will be falsely accused. And sometimes you will be falsely accused by your own brothers and sisters in the family of God. You keep your nose to the grindstone, your heart to God, your trust in Him, He will be the one who's going to have your back on this. I can't guarantee how it plays out this side of heaven, but I will tell you, in the end, He's got your back, and He will uphold your good name. In fact, He will even do more than that. He will exalt it if you persevere for His sake. As a pastor, your your pastor, I want to plead with you as it relates to bearing false witness, presenting, bringing falsehood into the body of Christ, bringing slander against your brother or sister. I want to plead with you to guard against this in a severe way. In a severe way. Do not let it come into the body of Christ. Do not give an ear to it. Do not give lips to it. Do not participate in any way with it. And even beyond not participating, Actively seek to bring an end to it. This is what Satan uses to destroy church bodies. And if you happen to be a believer or even one who has not yet called out the name of Christ and you see this falsehood in your life, man, fall on your face before God and seek His forgiveness and turn away from it. I know when you walk in falsehood, scriptures even say you walk in it long enough and your conscience starts getting seared. You start even losing an understanding that you're even doing it. But God will teach you a new way. The Holy Spirit will guide you down a new path and show you a new way to think, a new way to live. If you will call out to Him, Lord Jesus. As we come to you, we give you great thanks that you have brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light. That though our sins were like scarlet, Lord, at the cross, you made them white as snow. You removed them as far as the east is from the west. You paid for every one of them on the cross. And Lord, now we are forgiven and free and called by your name because of your righteousness, not our own. Lord, we ask that you would help us to walk in that faithfully as your representative to the world and especially to your family. That we would have nothing to do with the ways of Satan. That we would have nothing to do with it. That we would, that we would even stand against it and combat it. That we guard the body of Christ. That we seek to preserve the good name that has been lended to us through our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would receive all glory, honor, and praise, that you would help us to persevere for your name's sake even when these accusations come our way. And that as brothers and sisters, when accusations do come our way, that our brothers and sisters would be there to have our backs. Just as you are there, our Heavenly Father, to have our back. To stand over us, to guard us, to preserve us, to help us through. Lord, I ask for those who... find themselves with a great measure of this falsehood in their own life Lord you would help them to to turn away from it to fully confess it to you to turn away from it to do like Zacchaeus and go to seek to make things right where they have wronged others and Lord to that you would teach them by your spirit to walk in your ways a new way a new day and I pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. The cross is the meeting place for sinners. There, there is a falsehood in us that, apart from Christ, um, it keeps us out of God's kingdom, it keeps us out of His heaven. And Christ came to bear the weight of God's judgment against that. Every false thing in you, every false thing in me, Christ died for on the cross. And all that come to Him seeking forgiveness and repentance will be embraced by the Father who loves them, by their Savior who died for them, and by the Spirit who leads us now in truth. So let us bear His name faithfully. And for those of you who who need that repentance, who need that forgiveness, come to the cross and ask for it. He is there waiting for you to receive Him by faith, to give you that forgiveness and usher you into the kingdom of light. Lord Jesus, be with you all. to Help you walk in His ways to be the light of truth in this world.